Welcome back to the show, everybody. Honestly, this is, uh... Whew, it has been a wild ride of a summer for me. I did a lot of traveling, got together with some family, and just started school a couple of days ago. So, it's been a bit rough. Uh, this will be my first episode in quite some time, and I want to pick up and go with a more recurring theme. I already have something that I have written for a while now. Uh, it's a good amount of pages, too, so I think you'll enjoy it. But if we're going to jump into that, then I'm sure a lot of you are wondering, well, hey, hey, hold on a minute. Then how does all of your other stories go? Don't tell me this is another one that you're going to abandon. And I respect that. Honestly, I do. But I don't know. After writing through a couple of the pages, I began to lack focus started to aim off to the side a little bit, and I didn't really feel like I was doing the best that I could with it. So, I'm going to give you a recap of everything that happens, and basically the ending explained as best I can. So, picking up from where we left off, Jack ends up killing Diamond Jack, and him and Cynthia, they sort of like get a little moment to break. Uh, Silas jumps through and explains everything that happens, and I'll go over that at the end of the year, whenever we talk about some other stuff. <clears throat> but Silas jumps through and he, holy cow, he goes to town. He ends up helping Catherine push back Charn like, to the point that the necromancer is overridden with malice. And he, he loses control and turns into this gargantuan nightmare of a black void-like demon. So, the final battle takes place in Charn's home on the kingdom. Everybody's running around, and as Catherine gets everybody back through their portal, Madeline, or not Madeline, sorry, uh, Leonora and Cynthia end up sharing a kiss. They both go back to their own dimensions. Yeah, I know, promote, whatever. So, as they fight, uh, all of Catherine's original team, or I should say the Red Knights team, show up, and they help saved the day, they captured the malice, and the city, rather than, you know, like, doing anything bad or saying, like, oh no, I tried to attack the kingdom, they instead worship Charn heavily as one of their gods. And their excuse, or not their excuse, but their reason for it is he was a symbol of everything they were doing wrong, everything that they could improve upon. And so they hung his armor on a statue outside of the castle, and yeah. So, this episode... We're talking about the Sin Hunter. That's right, we're going on back to him. Why do I keep going back to the Sin Hunter? Because he's a freaking good character. And I think nobody really gets him. The last time I tried talking about him, it was really bleak. It was dry. There wasn't enough detail. Well, I'm back. We're talking about the Sin Hunter now. Alrighty then. Mm, let me get uh, my snacks real quick. Alright, we're good. <clears throat> Oliver Sparks and Company present The Sin Hunter Mixed Origins, Part 1 of 3. Chapter 1 Introduction. Back in the earlier days, in a town nestled away in the rolling canyons of Montana, Western Ridge sat, a simplistic yet thriving community. The people here were very kind, yet tough as the endless mountains that surrounded the small town. But none were so firm and determined in their stride as Avery Eagle Eye Masterson, 
born from the town's fire chopper. Avery grew like a goldfish in strength and speed, and pitched in more than his fair share in town. There wasn't a single person, man or woman, young or old, who didn't know the name of Avery. Yet he was a calm and collected man. It took a whole hell of a lot to get him riled up, spitting and swearing. Avery continued his wondrous journey through life, eventually becoming the town sheriff. And when he strapped that badge on his chest and adjusted his hold hat, he stepped out onto the podium and put both hands on the table. Good people of Western Ridge, thank you for agreeing to meet on this special occasion, he said, a warm aura floating with his words. The townsfolk gathered to see their new sheriff, and Avery smiled, brushing a finger across his mustache. I would like to say a few words of thanks for everything you've done to help me get to this spot. Without this wonderful community, I would have never thought to become sheriff so far out here in the wilderness, and let alone become the sheriff at all. Avery moved wonderfully through his life, assisting the people in any way he could. His strong figure came in handy when collecting resources to survive the winter, or simply warding off the bandits that raided their mail trains. But it wasn't too long before Avery caught himself a wonderful gal by the name of Heather. One cool fall evening, during a raid on the mail train, Avery threw himself onto the bandits, stopping them dead in their tracks during the heat of the raid. But when he ripped aside the mask, he was shocked to see the most beautiful woman he had ever met. The two, although on opposing sides of this growing conflict, they spoke often, becoming good friends. But soon as any friendship can, and you would know this, they grow beyond friends. And it wasn't too long before the rings were forged by the town blacksmith, and cheers arose from the streets long into the night. Avery and Heather moved out to a nice field nearby, and began building the cabin they had always dreamed of. It was a sturdy old place built from dark oak and stone bricks. The interior was polished and well-built, with a hearthstone fireplace, wonderfully unique architecture, and plenty of space for family and visitors. But the greatest joy of all arrived after one particular night, when, after some pushing, if you know what I mean, Jack was introduced. A simplistic name, yes, but his parents were so helpy, happy to welcome their newborn son into the world. Jack, like his father, was always seeking new things, adventuring beyond the tree line, and finding it many new adventures and explorations to satisfy his childish wants and needs. Once, he even dragged home a grizzly cub, to which his parents abruptly tossed it back to its mom. Avery slowly began to teach Jack some basic life skills, chopping firewood, where to put your tools so you remember them, and more down-to-earth essentials. But if Jack... Yeah, sorry... But if Jack wasn't outside, training with a gun and learning to ride a horse, he was inside, helping Heather cook and clean the house. After a few months of repetition, there wasn't a single spot Jack couldn't find in their home. The family was happy for long years into the future. And then, right around those early 2010s, panic struck. A bandit by the name of Blindsided Birch stormed Western Ridge and seized the bank as a hostage. Now, Birch isn't your typical sociopathic, egotistical, genocidal cowboy. And he was sure more and he sure was more than just a kid's story to get them to sleep at night. Avery, knowing what needed to be done, grabbed his gun and belt and saddled up, riding into town. As the light rain began to fall over the two men, Avery tipped his hat and then clipped the holster around his gun. Well, 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 Birch, what do you gotten yourself into this time? Birch, his right eye scratched from its socket, leaving little more than a gaping hole, snarled under his bandana. <sighs> ah, nothing much, Eagle Eye. Though I didn't come without bringing a little housewarming gift. Oh, boys! Avery's eyes widened, and he spun, drawing his gun from a toaster, and turning to see two of Birch's men, guns loaded. He tore through both of them, a clean shot through the head in each. But as he got to his feet, his shoulder exploded, scattering blood across the dusty road. Ah! He yelled, collapsing in pain. The smoke hissed from Birch's gun as he advanced on the sheriff, 
his spur boots clicking on the dusty road. Avery twisted around, and as a crack exploded from his gun, both fired. And although Avery, bless his soul, never did get up, neither did Birch, with two vacant holes where his eyes should have been. Avery had shot out Avery, Avery had shot out Birch's other eye, leaving the man permanently dead and blind. When Heather and Jack arrived in town, it was too late. Western Ridge had lost their greatest sheriff, and it was no laughing matter. The townsfolk gathered for two special occasions that day. One, to lay Eagle Eye to rest in a peaceful grove behind his house, and the second, to burn Birch's corpse. There was much violence and foul language tossed around at that ceremony. But shockingly, through the flames and the celebrations, Jack was the only one to not be afraid, nor mourning. His father had died in front of him, and yet he felt almost nothing. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a cold, isolated monster, he was overheard telling some townsfolk. He was still my father, who brought me into this world. But at the very least, I do honor his passing. And until I find the people responsible for his death, that debt shall never be repaid. Chapter 2 R, H, and L Despite this harrowing development in character, Jack grew and grew, changing beyond his mother's wildest dreams. They say that the more room a goldfish has to float freely, the faster and bigger it grows. And Jack was no exception to this matter. He took up sports and activities in his free time, riding about the field and ranch, and firing his gun off doing target practice. Folks would fly in from the 21st century all around to this small town in Montana to witness the boy take on five or even six bulls in the ring, all on horseback. He carried over many of his father's strong-willed, determined talents in his wake. Once, he even saved a group of children from a wild grizzly. When the children screamed and ran from their little playing spot in the fields, Jack's spurred boots hit the soft, pine-needle-ridden floor of the woods, and he fought. A few hours later, he returned, the bear's body nicely collected for a feast. Heather, however, felt that she needed- or felt that- ugh. Whenever she felt the need to travel with some friends outside of town, always admired the cityscapes and the wonderful world that she lived in. But she always had stories to tell about Jack, her wonderful son. So much so that her friends decided to make a bet. Each had at least one child to boast, boy or girl and thus they placed a bet. Whoever could get their child engaged to Jack first would win the bet. And when Heather brought her friends back down to Montana, where they were greeted warmly by the townsfolk, the three ladies set their eyes upon Jack, and instantly they knew it would be a challenge. Jack was only about 18, 19 maybe, but he was well built, with a fair amount of muscle, despite his attempts to hide them with his poncho. There was a clear red flag that this was a hard-working fellow, and hard-working people will have some steel determination, which leads to the challenging part. But the true challenge wasn't in what they believed it to be. During a conversation between the three friends, Jack overheard their dealings and immediately concerned himself. Later, while pacing around his room, Jack devised a plan. I'm no country boy prized to be won, but if that's what their desires flood and overwhelm their senses with, then so be it. Let's see if any of their children have what it takes to tame this bull. With that, he went to sleep, his mind constantly shifting and changing to scenarios of victory and accomplishment as well as some dreaming of his contestants. Bright and early the next morning, Jack took the challengers out to the fields overlooking Western Ridge and the beautiful canyon cliffs. He grabbed an old and sturdy axe from a nearby log, placed a piece of wood down, or placing a piece of wood down on the stump. He swung the axe overhead and shattered the log in one go. Jack wiped the sweat from his forehead with his hat, and then turned to the three friends. All right then, who would like to go next, he asked. The first of the three, a young man, stepped forward, looked the next log up and down, then placed two logs down, one stacked on the other. 
When he swung overhead, he swept through both logs, to everyone's surprise. Jack's eyes couldn't help but widen, and he stepped through to take the axe up. Not bad for your first go, champ. Alright, who's next? Sometime later, Jack sat around the living room fireplace, chatting with the three teams. Well, I'm glad I got to meet you three. It's been an amazing experience with you all, Jack said one evening, while talking with the three friends' siblings. These siblings weren't exactly comfortable with the planet first, but after seeing their 2B suitor, they instantly perked up, ready for action. Jack smiled and shook the hands of each. So we have Rain, Harry, and Liana. It's a pleasure to meet all three of you. While the point was to not make it obvious, Ryan was a little too anxious in her efforts, and unfortunately, what happened next threw everyone in the whole conversation out of whack, and Jack immediately stood up, fastening his striped brown and gold poncho. Ah, excuse me, Rain, I need to go find my mom real quick. And after a quick little moment, Jack decided he wanted nothing more to do with the first of the three. He later, relayed, or later recalled the moment and relayed it to her mother and her friends. Yeah, Rain tried to cuddle me. Not the weirdest thing to happen, but unusual nonetheless, he exclaimed, with the group sitting around the table. Rain was sputtering and hiding her face, ashamed of what she did. And of course, her mother punished her, but not for the cuddling. Despite this moment, there were still two contestants left. Now we move on to Harry, and Harry questioned the overall approach of his situation. Jack wasn't gay, at the very least that's what he believed, but he kept courage swelled in his gut and he continued to partake in chores and actions around the house. Any chance Harry had to flex his muscles or his pure, unbridled masculinity, he took it. And clearly, although Jack was pouring sweat, Harry was convinced that some of that was going towards his favor. And so the next night, when the group sat down for another wonderful meal, Heather laid down some of the warm, delicious food when Jack spoke up. So, Mom, I was out working with Harry this morning. Let me say, he is an amazing guy. We chopped firewood, rode some horses through the fields, and honestly, he's an all-around great friend. Friend. The word echoed in Harry's mind as he threw himself to the bathroom to both relieve himself and to cry in shame. Oh, man, my parents are going to get me for this, he thought. And yet this competition was not over yet. There was still Liana to worry about. But where the previous challengers of lust and desire were rather straightforward, Liana worked behind her parents' back, and the moment she got there, she grabbed Jack's arm while feeding the horses and dragged him behind the barn into a horse stall. Pressed tight into a corner, Liana told everything that she could about the bet and the strange things that happened that week. Jack, who admired her honesty and devotion to what was right, despite him already knowing, repaid this by giving Liana a quick but noticeable kiss. When the two broke away, Jack nodded. You tell them that you won. Thank you for your honesty and bravery. Liana nodded, and the two continued with their work. So it was that when dinner rolled around again, and everyone took their seats at the table, Jack and Liana made clear eye contact and talked openly to one another. This did not go unnoticed, and soon enough, the first of Heather's friends, whose child was Rain, slammed her hands down on the table. Alright, enough! Jack, we placed a bet to see which of our children would marry you, and we demand to know, now! Jack grinned devilishly, and then looked to his partner for the day. You know what? I think you're right. And I have found myself a good suitor. He stood up, wiped his lips, and then motioned with his hands at the dramatic story that followed. Now, I think it's fair that if we talk about Rain. She was, by all means, the most attractive but I could never find myself driven purely by lust and desire for all my life. So unfortunately, Rain, you are not my choice. Although, I wish you a wonderful life with someone as charming as you. Rain uncovered her face and wiped away her tears. Thanks, Jack, she said, smiling a bit more. Jack then turned to Harry. And then there's Harry. Now I gotta hand it to you, bud. Oh, wait, sorry. Now I gotta hand it to you, bud. You truly are a Ryan Reynolds of this town. The sexiest one I've met. Save for the actual Ryan Reynolds, but that's not the point. 
Jack waved away the notion and unclipped his poncho to more easily move his hands. Now, you gave it by far the best run, but you made one mistake by flexing a little too often. I'm no stranger to such things because, well, I've actually dealt with them before. Don't ask about that. Though I do not consider myself to be quite gay nor bi. But know this, Jack said, putting his hands down on the table and looking at Harry dead in the eyes. I'm neither of those if that answers your question. Harry backed up with a deep sigh and then looked to his parents, fear on his face. Jack then turned to Liana, a smile on his face. Now, Liana was for sure the most courageous of all of you, and I'm going to explain. Jack moved around the table and placed an arm around her shoulder, pulling her close, the two smiling at the same time. Liana was the only one brave enough to openly tell me what was happening, and words can't describe how beautiful this was for me, to see someone bold enough to admit the truth, even when faced with pain and torture. Then, Jack sat up and looked at both his mom and her friends. You three should be more than ashamed. Your own children are clearly afraid of you, and from my perspective, that's an example of bad parenting. Your children look up to you, and they certainly should not be afraid of you. The three parents admitted, after some consideration, that they had done some terrible things to get their kids into this bed. Heather, however, only beamed even wider with pride, and she couldn't contain her joy for her son. Jack was a firm and understanding person. If you were to have some embarrassing secret spoiled at the expense of a good chuckler joke, Jack wouldn't laugh. He believed that everything had a reason, and so he would sit and ask you what your reason for such a secret was. Once he knew the truth, he slowly brought the distraught person back to reality. Jack inherited many qualities from both sides of his family. One of the most notable of all was his patience and understanding of any situation. Just as he received his bravery and intelligence from his father's side, he was blessed with cunning and charm from his mother's. Good lord, that feels good to get back to it. I'll be recording new episodes every Saturday, and hey, see you then.